All right. Well, good evening again, and thank you all for coming out. If you're here in person, it's good to see everybody. And thank you for tuning in if you're watching online. If this is your first time tuning in, uh, my name is Wade, and we're glad to have you. So welcome to Grace Community Church Wednesday night service. Let me go ahead and open us up in a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll get on into tonight's message. Father, thank you for another opportunity to, to stand up here and uh, preach what you've laid on my heart this week, Lord. God, I just pray for everybody that's here and everybody that's watching online that you would uh, open our hearts, Lord, and open our minds to receive what it is you're saying to us. And Lord, I pray that you help us to remember it. And uh, not only remember it, Lord, but actually apply these things to our lives so that we can make the changes and bear the fruit that you want us to bear. And Lord, I pray for all the ones that couldn't be here tonight because they're sick or they had surgery or, or whatever the cause is. I just pray that you'd be with them and comfort them, Lord, and help them to, to heal and get back to normal. And Lord, I just pray for all the ones that are just in grief tonight, Lord, that have lost loved ones this week. I just pray that you'd be with them and comfort them, Lord, and give them the hope that they need to make it through this time. And Lord, we'll give you all the honor, the praise, and the glory for that. And it's in Jesus' holy name I do pray. Amen. Uh, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been in chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, and we've been going really slow. The first week we only got like one and a half verses, but uh, I told you I wanted to go slow so we could understand it. You know, it don't do us a whole lot of good to just skim through the Bible and not get any, any understanding at all out of it. Uh, the first week, you know, we talked about Hebrews 12 verses 1 and the first part of verse 2, uh, where it says to lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. And uh, mostly what we focused on that first week was the first part of verse 2, where it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And I shared that definition of the word looking with you. Uh, and that definition is looking away from one thing so that you can see another. And uh, how many of us, you know, we can't see the way out of the situation that we're in because that's all we focus on. We can't see the hope that we need, and we can't see the new direction that we need to take. And, you know, a lot of times when we're in that place, we can't see a different future than the one we have right now because we're focused on is the way things are right now and uh, where I am right now and what I'm doing right now. And, uh, if that's where we are and all we're focused on is our circumstances, then that's where we'll stay. And most of the time, our circumstances will get worse. You know, we have to get our focus off of our circumstances and off of ourselves. And uh, we have to look away from ourselves, like that definition said, and look at Jesus. And he will give us the direction. You know, and uh, once he gives us that direction, then we have to decide. We've got to make that choice. I can keep leaning on my own understanding. I can keep trying to figure this out on my own, or I can look to Jesus like that verse is saying and uh, follow his lead <clears throat> instead of following my own understanding. And that's easier than it sounds. All we have to do is just choose to be obedient to what he says to do. And uh, we talked about that a lot uh, three weeks ago. It's hard for us to be obedient. Because, you know, it don't come naturally to us. That's something that we have to learn. I have to learn to trust God first. Uh, 
You know, we shared Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. We have to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not into our own understanding. And in all our ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct our paths. You know, all the time I have to trust God. And I quit trying to figure out things for myself. I have to acknowledge Him in all my ways, and He will direct my paths. You know, instead of focusing on my circumstances, instead of focusing on what's wrong, I need to focus on who can make things better. I need to focus on God, and He will direct our path. But when He directs our path, you know, we have to take the path. God will show us what to do, but He won't force you to take that path. He won't make a choice for you. He gives us free will. And uh, that's what we talked about the second week. Uh, the last part of Hebrews 12, uh, verse 2, <coughs> says, who, it's talking about Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. But mostly, you know, in verse 3, we talked about, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. And that's what we focused on most the second week, was growing weary and faint in our minds. And I told you that word mind, that means our spiritual life or our faith. So, you know, how do we get through these things? How do we get through these circumstances without getting weary and faint and weak in our faith and weak in our spiritual life? And, uh, you know, when we get weary and faint in our faith and our spiritual life, we just give up. And, uh, you know, we talked about that word consider in verse 3. That's mostly what that message was about. It means to study and to contemplate on and to learn about and to give some deep thought to. And I told you if we read that verse that way, you know, it says study him that endured such a contradiction of sinners so you won't grow weary and faint in your faith or your spiritual life. So, uh, you know, if we study Jesus, we want to know why. First, you know, did he endure the cross? And uh, we just read that in verse 2, for the joy that was set before him. And I told you that joy that was set before him was you. That was me. And uh, why did he endure the cross? Because he knew that my eternal life and your eternal life depended on it. He made it through and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And through him, through Jesus, you and I can make it through too. But how did he make it through? We know why he made it through, because of us. You know, we were the joy that was set before him. But how did he make it through? And we talked about that. Uh, we'll make it through the same way Jesus did, because he's always our example. And we talked about how Jesus humbled himself. And uh, we talked about how he is always submitted to the Father. So that's what we have to do. We have to humble ourselves and we have to submit ourselves to the Father or be obedient to the Father. That's another, another way to put being submitted to him is being obedient to him. And I shared these verses with you out of the, the book of Philippians. And that's the best example I could think of uh, of what Christ did and uh, an example for us in Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8. It said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, 
he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So he humbled himself and he became obedient. And, uh, you know, Hebrews 12, the next verse, verse 4 in uh, Hebrews 12, it says, You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Uh, you know, we talked about that verse the second week too. Even when it was so hard to do the will of the Father instead of his own will, he, he still did it. He still surrendered his will to the Father. And uh, I read those verses to you out of Luke where he was in the Garden of Gethsemane where he did actually sweat drops of blood. And this is about Jesus again. In verse 42, it says, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Uh, you know, the verse 4 there says we hadn't, we've never, you know, fought against sin that hard that our blood or our sweat turns into blood. And uh, even when things are hard, even when we can't see a way out of it, even when it looks impossible, and, uh, you know, we look at it and we're like, well, if I surrender to God's will, this is going to happen or this is going to happen. Even when it's that hard, we still have to surrender our will to His because God is always on our side. I love uh, verse 43 in Luke 22. It says, An angel from heaven appeared to Him and strengthened Him. But I told you that second week that we've got something more powerful than an angel. You know, if you're surrendered to Christ, if you belong to Christ, then we have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us to strengthen us when we need strength. You know, he had an angel from heaven came to strengthen him, but we have God himself inside of us, not just an angel. You know, the Holy Spirit, I think we we downplay that a lot. The Holy Spirit is God. You know, there's a Godhead. There's three. There's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. So if we're surrendered to Christ, we have God himself living on the inside of us to give us the strength in those times when we need it. You know, to fight against those temptations to do the wrong thing. And then last week, we talked about the chastening of the Lord. And uh, I told you that the chastening of the Lord is not punishment. It's not meant to to condemn us. It's nothing bad about it. You know, God don't chasten us just to prove that we're wrong and He's right. He chastens us for our own good. He's just showing us areas of our life that are not going to work out well. You know, all we can see is here and now and the instant fix or whatever. God can see our tomorrows. God can see our future and what they're going to look like if we go this way. And the chastening of the Lord is just that. You know, God's saying, if you do this, there's going to be bad consequences. You know, you need to go a different direction. He don't want us to hurt ourselves. He just, like I said, is showing us areas of our lives that we need to change because they're going to, eventually they're going to harm us. Uh, and I'm, I'll share these with you. We shared these last week, but Hebrews 12 and verse 6, that's what it's saying. It says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And in verse 10, it tells us he's doing it for our benefit. And uh, the verse before that was talking about our earthly fathers. You know, they barely for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, God, he chastens us for our profit for our own good. 
that we might be partakers of his holiness. You know, he loves us. He wants us to be partakers of his holiness. He don't want us to miss out on our inheritance. You know, we talked about our inheritance a little bit last week. And I didn't share this verse with you last week, but I want to share it with you this week. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, it talks about our inheritance. It says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. You know, God has good things in store for us. He has eternal life in store for us. And, uh, you know, we talked about how Moses, you know, he could have chose to stay in Pharaoh's house. He could have chose to live in pleasure and uh, been rich all his life. You know, he chose to give all that up to suffer with the children of God because he knew he had an inheritance and there was more to life than this world has to offer. So God's chastening is just leading you in the right direction to get you there so you get your inheritance. But when God chastens us or shows us there in our lives that we need to work on a change, we got to be obedient to it. Like I keep saying, you know, we have to learn obedience. It's a choice. It does not come naturally to us. You know, rebellion comes naturally. You know, if somebody tells me you have to do this this way, then my natural instinct is, no, I don't. You know, I can, I'll do it some other way just to spite you. But we have to intentionally choose to be obedient to God. Uh, and I showed you this verse last week, too, that even Jesus, the Son of God, you know, he had to learn obedience, too. Uh, Hebrews 5 and verse 8, and it's talking about Jesus. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And I told you last week, that's how we have to learn obedience, too, by the things that we suffer. Uh, Josh says it all the time. If you've ever took his Monday night grief class, you know, you can't have change without loss, and you can't have loss without pain. But we've got to choose the change that God tells us to make over the pain. And we have to trust God. Like I said a minute ago, that on the other side of this, if I do what God's saying, it's going to hurt going through it. But when I come out of the other side, things are going to be way better because I was obedient and because I went through it. But we have to choose to go through that change over the pain, you know, no matter how big that pain might look at the time. We have to choose that joy that was set before us is worth the pain just like Jesus did, you know. He trusted God that the end result was going to be worth going through that. Uh, and that word consider, it also means to estimate. You know, Jesus estimated the cost before he went to the cross. He looked at the cross and he looked at us. And he estimated that we were worth it. You know, and we've got we've to estimate that he is worth it. That eternal life and life in heaven forever with Jesus is worth anything that he asked us to change. It's worth more than anything this world has to offer. We talked about that last week too. You know, there's nothing on this earth that is worth your your life. And that's what it'll cost you if you choose that over God. Uh, there's no pleasure on this earth, nothing. It's all temporary. You know, when Jesus comes back or we die and stand before him, none of this stuff is going to be there. None of our land is going to be there. The Bible is very clear. This whole earth is going to melt with fervent heat. So, you know, 
all of your homes, your cars, your money, your bank accounts, none of that stuff. Don't let it lead you away from God because it's not going to be there when you're standing before God. And don't let other people influence you in your faith because they're not going to be standing before God with you either. You'll be standing before God by yourself. And uh, I'll read a verse about that here in a little bit. And I know that was a super long introduction about what we've been doing the last three weeks. But I wanted to go over all those things because none of those things that we've been talking about for the last three weeks are possible without what we're talking about tonight. And uh, now there's a lot more in those messages than what I covered uh, than what we just talked about. And if you missed them, you can find them on Facebook or YouTube, you know, if you want to watch them and get some more info or whatever. But tonight we're going to be talking about grace. And uh, grace is another one of those words that we just throw around so much that nobody even knows what it means anymore. You know, just kind of like love. We talked about a couple of weeks ago. You can say, I love my wife, I love my best friend, and I love ice cream. You know, it's, it just gets thrown around so much it's lost its meaning. And we've done the same thing with the word grace. And uh, honestly, I don't think most of us even know what grace does mean. You know, I had no idea what it meant. When I came uh, to Christ, you know, I had a, an idea of what it was. Oh, grace means he, he just having mercy on you. And uh, for years, that's what I thought it was. I thought grace was mercy. And they were the same, but they are, they're not the same. Uh, <clears throat> but none of the things we talked about for the last three weeks, you know, humbling ourselves, submitting to God, forgiving other people, being obedient, making the changes in our lives that God asked us to make, none of those are possible without grace. Uh, and I want to start off with this. In Hebrews 12, verses 14 and 15, this is where we left off last week. Uh, verse 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And number 15 says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. That root of bitterness, that's just talking about our sin nature springing back up. That's about my selfishness coming back to life and me letting it have control again. Instead of following the Holy Spirit, I'm falling back into my, my old ways, back into my old sin nature. You know, you can't have grace and bitterness at the same time. And uh, like we just read in verse 14, it says we can't follow peace with all men and holiness without grace. And uh, it says, without which no man shall see the Lord. And I want to see the Lord. You know, I tell you all the time that the scariest words I've ever read and never want to hear are depart from me. I never knew you. And grace is that important. And I think we, we don't put enough importance on it. You know, we were talking about our inheritance a minute ago. And if we keep reading in Hebrews 12, verses 16 and 17, that's what it's talking about, an inheritance. This is a picture of us today, and it's using Esau. He was from the Old Testament. He was the brother of Jacob. And uh, Esau went out hunting. And when he came home, he was really tired. He was really hungry. He probably hadn't eaten in days. And uh, we'll just, that's where we pick up in this verse. It says, Lest there be any fornicator 
or profane person is Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. You know, like I said, that was talking about Esau coming home from hunting, and he was really hungry, so he traded his birthright to his brother Jacob for a bowl of stew. You know, in a moment of weakness, he chose temporary relief, temporary pleasure, temporary satisfaction of his flesh over his inheritance. And if we're not careful, that's exactly what we do here on this earth. You know, we have to keep our inheritance in, in sight. We've got to keep that on our minds. Because if we choose the things of this world, if we just choose things that are going to please us here and now because we're physically hungry for it, then we're going to cheat ourselves out of our inheritance. You know, he was the firstborn son in that family. And in those days, that was a big deal. You know, his inheritance would have been huge. You know, he would have got a double portion of whatever the wealth was in the family. The firstborn got the double portion, but he would also became the patriarch of the family. And he would have inherited all the power, all the influence of his father. You know, it was just a, a major deal. And he acted like it was worthless, and he just threw it away for one bowl of stew. And uh, like I keep telling you, all the things this world has to offer you, in the end, they're worthless too. You know, they may be valuable here on earth. There's nothing wrong with having nice cars, nice homes, land, and all that stuff. But you can't let that be more important and more valuable than your faith. Because the Bible says it's appointed unto us all men once to die, and after that, the judgment. And if you don't have Christ, if you've chosen all these other things uh, to fulfill you and put your faith in those, then it will not be a good day when you meet Christ. Uh, so in one moment of weakness, he just threw it all away to satisfy his flesh. And that didn't just affect him. You can go through the history of his family. You know, that infected his entire family from the moment he made that decision all throughout history. Like I said, he didn't wind up being the patriarch. He didn't wind up getting the big inheritance. And uh, that's a picture of us, too. You know, if I throw away my eternal inheritance in Christ, then my family's not probably not going to get that either. You know, I'm going to lead them in the wrong direction. Instead of to Christ, if they're following me and I'm taking them, taking them to the world instead of God, then they're not going to have an inheritance either. You know, I thank God every day <coughs> that my daughter, you know, has, has a good relationship with Jesus Christ. And she found him on her own. And I thank God for that every day. Uh, that's just such a blessing to know that my family is following God. Because I've got, also got family that's not following God. And I know how painful that can be to know what's going to happen to them if they don't change direction. Uh, but verse 17 says, Afterward he found no place for repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. And uh, that's what we're going to do, too. That's why I was telling you, when you stand before Jesus Christ and you've already made these other choices, whether you die first or he comes back, and you're in that state, then you will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. You know, if you throw away your inheritance to satisfy your own desires and your own will instead of God's, 
for temporary things here on earth, that's what you're going to hear. And that should wake us up to the core. It wakes me up to the core. I, I try to be very careful not to put anything above my relationship with God. That's what Hebrews 12 is. It's a warning to us to lay aside our sin and our weight because it does easily beset us. But it's also a warning to do that stuff now while we can. You know, make the changes now while we still can. Because like I keep saying, when we stand before Jesus, it's going to be too late. And just like Esau, you know, he says he wanted his inheritance. He wanted repentance. He sought it carefully with tears, but it was too late. There was nothing that could be done about it. And if we wait and put it off until we're standing before Jesus, then it's going to be too late for us too. Uh, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 it says, for he says, I have heard you in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not yesterday, not sometime in the future, because we're not promised tomorrow. You know, I tell you all the time, I might get in a car wreck on the way home and die on the way home. And if I have not made that decision, and I don't belong to Jesus Christ, then my eternity is set. You know, now is the time to make those changes. Now is the time <coughs> to do those things while we can. Uh, that's why it's so important to listen to the chastening of the Lord. If you hear it today, then today is the day to do something with it. Not put it on your list to do next week because we're not promised next week. Uh, Proverbs 27 and verse 1, it says, Boast not yourself of tomorrow. Well, you don't know what a day may bring forth. We don't know what's going to happen today. And we can't put everything off till tomorrow. Uh, Luke 12 is a good example of that. Verses 18 through 21. And, he's, and uh, this is a guy talking about his riches. He said, this will I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. Build me some bigger barns. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And this is the Lord talking to him. And I will say to my soul, or no, it's still that guy talking. And I will say to my soul, you have much good to lay up for many years. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now this is God talking to him. But God said unto him, you fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. Then whose shall those things be which you have provided? So is he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And you can't get any plainer than that. You can stockpile and stockpile and stockpile here. But if you're not rich towards God, if you don't have a relationship with Him, if you're not surrendered to Christ, when this life is over, you don't have anything because your soul is required of you when we stand before Him. So all the, anything this world has to offer cannot save you. And we have to make that choice now. You know, like I said, and we can't do that without grace. I'm going to fast forward a little bit to the end of this chapter, or the verse before the end of this chapter, and then we'll come back to some of it. But Hebrews 12 and verse 28, it says, Wherefore we, that's us, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, that's our inheritance that we just read about. That's eternal life in heaven with Christ. Since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have 
grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. <clears throat> Let us have grace. How do we have grace? That's what I want to talk about the rest of the night. By doing everything that we've been covering for the last three weeks, we have to surrender our will to God. Uh, surrender our will to God's will. We submit ourselves to God. We call that getting saved, you know, when we surrender our life to Christ. But how are we saved? Uh, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says we're saved by grace. I don't know if that was in my notes or not, Travis. For by grace are you saved through faith in Christ, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. So even getting saved, even surrender to God, that is a work of grace. That is a gift of God. And uh, if it's by grace that I'm saved, I want a little little. A little bit more about grace. You know, if it's grace that's going to enable me to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, like it said in verse 28, I want to know more about it. You know, and if it's grace that's going to enable me to follow peace with all men and holiness and see the Lord, then I want to know more about it. And uh, one thing grace is not, and that is mercy. You know, I told you a minute ago that that's what I thought it was for a long time. Uh, I told you a few weeks ago that most of us want a Savior, but we don't want a Lord. Uh, and in the same way, most of us want mercy and not grace. We don't want to submit. You know, we're willing to take a Savior if He's going to save me from hell and give me life in heaven. But if I have to submit to Him here on earth, we don't want a Lord. We don't want somebody telling us what to do. And, uh, it's the same with mercy and grace. You know, I want mercy. I don't want to pay for the things I've done, but I don't want grace because if I get grace, that means I'm submitted to God. That means I belong to Jesus. Uh, grace, by definition, in the strong concordance, is the removing of guilt. That's what God does when we come to Christ. He gives us grace. He removes our guilt. Uh, Colossians 2.14 said he, he nails our account to the cross. You know, he did away with every debt that we had. He pays our debts for us. So grace, by definition, is the removing of guilt. Mercy, by definition, is the removing of punishment. And I think that's what most of us are looking for. We just don't want the consequences of what I've done. We don't want the punishment of what we've done. We're not looking for a Lord. We're not looking for grace. We're looking for mercy. Uh, mercy is the removing of misery that's caused by my guilt. But you can't have the removing of punishment or misery, misery without removing the guilt. If all we receive was mercy, then we're still guilty. You know, we haven't had our guilt removed. And the only way we can have our guilt removed is by grace. And it is a gift from God. But we have to accept Christ as our Lord to have grace. He's our Lord and Savior, not just our Savior. And we receive grace. You know, Lord means submission, and grace means surrender. We don't just need mercy. We need grace, and mercy comes with that. And only then, once we have grace, that we receive mercy. We just want the mercy. 
but we can't have mercy without having our guilt removed. And how do we have our guilt removed? By being forgiven. And uh, that happens through grace. If we go back to the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, In whom, talking about Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So it always comes back to grace. Uh, you know, I tell you all the time that nobody knows about your relationship with God but you and God. You know, I don't know if you're truly surrendered to Christ or not, and you don't know if I'm truly surrendered to Christ or not. But God knows. Uh, I can't see your heart. All I can see is what you do, what you tell me, what you say. You know, I can watch your actions and get a pretty good idea. But nobody actually knows what's going on in your heart but you and the Lord. Uh, but God can see your heart. In First Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, it says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For outward man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Or if we go back to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Jesus is the word of God. He is the quick and powerful. He is the thing that will divide between the bones and the marrow. He knows every thought you have. He knows everything inside you and everything inside me. He knows our hearts. And uh, one of the part of the definition of grace that I read said this. It said, it is the divine influence upon the heart. And it's the reflection in your life because of that influence on your heart. When God... <coughs> looks at our hearts he can see whether we're still in charge of it or he can see if it's being influenced by the holy spirit that's what that definition is talking about you know if we have grace in us then our hearts are being divinely influenced by the holy spirit uh, god knows if you have grace god knows if you're in, being influenced by the holy spirit or if you're still in charge and i think there's a lot of people that are coming to church, going through the motions like we've been talking about, that still have not surrendered control of their heart to God. Motions will not save you on the day we stand before Jesus Christ. If your heart don't belong to Him, then He can see that. And you know that if that's you. He knows whether or not you should receive grace. And, you know, a good indicator of that is if you're not experiencing mercy then you probably have not received God's grace because the only way we get mercy is to receive the grace. Uh, another part of that definition said, and this is talking about how God does want to take away our misery, how God wants to just completely get rid of it. That defini definition says, God's tender sense of our misery displays itself in his efforts to lessen and entirely remove our misery through his grace. We want our misery removed 
but God, we have to give in to God's grace. We have to receive that free gift of grace before he can remove our misery. Through grace, we just read in Ephesians, we are forgiven by the riches of his grace. And he can't remove our punishment, our guilt, without being forgiven. So in order for him to lessen and entirely remove our misery, we have to accept his grace first. Uh, but then the definition keeps going. It says, but his efforts to remove our misery are hindered or completely defeated by only one thing. And that one thing is our heart. <coughs> it says, man's continued perverseness and unwillingness to receive grace. Unwilling <coughs> to humble ourselves and let him be our Lord and receive grace. That's the only thing that stops God's grace is us. Uh, the book of Romans says there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. But we can we can stop ourselves from receiving it. If we don't receive the grace that God has given us, then he can't remove our misery. You know, he can't forgive us. He's a just God. Jesus paid for what we did. We just read that in Colossians chapter 2. He died on the cross for us. He paid our debt. But if we don't surrender to him and accept him as Lord, then we don't receive the grace, and uh, we don't receive the forgiveness that's freely offered to us. And when we don't do that, then we're still guilty, and we're still in the misery. You know, we won't give up control of our hearts. That's why we can't forgive other people. Uh, if you have a hard time forgiving, you know, grace is forgiveness. That's what our whole faith is based upon. By the grace of God, we are forgiven. And uh, I told you a minute ago that grace removes guilt. Grace is forgiveness, you know. And if I don't have grace, we can't remove guilt without grace in our hearts. We'll hold people guilty. Without grace, I'm not going to remove the guilt from somebody else. You know, we don't only receive grace for ourselves, but once we've received it, we offer grace to others. But if you haven't received it yourself, you don't have it to offer to other people. You know, without grace, like I said a minute ago, you can't remove the guilt that you're holding over somebody else. You don't have the power to forgive them like you should, like the Bible requires us to do, because you don't have grace inside of you. And you'll always be bitter towards them and the offense, you know, whatever they did to you. But with grace, we have the power to remove the guilt from them. We don't see it anymore. Just like God forgave us through grace, we forgive them through grace. And we don't hold it over them anymore. But if you don't have it, you can't give it. And we're stuck in that endless cycle of judging people and being bitter and resentful at people. You know, like we just read earlier in Hebrews 12, 15, you can't have both. Uh, lest any man fail of the grace of God. And lest any root of bitterness spring up and trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You know, like I keep saying, you can't have both. You either have grace, or we still have our old nature. We still have judgment and criticism and bitterness and resentment. And uh, if we're going to, if we keep going in Hebrews 12, it talks about how God came down to earth in Mount Sinai. Uh, if we keep reading in, like, in verse 18, I think, Travis. 
and uh, it's talking about he came down and he gave the law to Moses. And it scared the people so bad, they told Moses they didn't want God to speak to them anymore. Uh, you can see that in verse 21. But it was a scary thing, you know. God came down to Mount Sinai and it says there was smoke and earthquakes and fire. And they told him if anybody even comes close to the mountain, they're going to get thrust through with the dark. And uh, the law cannot save us. The law just shows us what we did wrong. And uh, that's the record of wrongs that Jesus took care of us at the cross. But uh, that's the way most people see God. That's the way I saw God. I never heard about grace. All I heard was the law. You're doing this, you're going to hell. You're doing this, God's mad at you. And that's what those people saw at that mountain. They saw an angry God with the law. And, uh, you know, that verse there says Moses was scared too. He said, I exceedingly fear and quake. And like I keep saying, that was a picture of the law. And if you haven't received grace, then we're still under the law. And you're probably still scared of God like they were. And you probably still have the mindset of the law. All the law does is condemn it shows us what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. It does not show us any way to make things right with God. But that was the old covenant. And if we keep reading in Hebrews 12, it starts talking about Jesus. It said, He is our new covenant. In Christ, we are in the new covenant. And uh, like I said, all the law could do was condemn and point out things that we did wrong. And the law brings the guilt that we won't out from under but the new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ removes the guilt. We're forgiven by grace through the Holy Spirit. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6 talks about that. It's talking about God who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter or of the law, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Uh, the NLT version of that verse reads like this it says he has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant God don't want us to just get saved he don't want us to just receive grace for ourselves he wants us to be ministers of his new covenant of grace he wants us to extend his grace to other people and lead them into a relationship with him too this is a covenant not writ not of written laws but of the spirit the old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. <clears throat> I love that. And I hope you're getting this. You can't receive mercy without grace, without surrendering your life to Christ and being forgiven and having your guilt removed. But when you receive grace, you receive mercy. You get them both. You know, everybody wants their guilt removed. Everybody wants their misery taken off of them. Everybody wants their circumstances to get better. But you can't just pick mercy. You have to go through grace. And when you pick grace, you do get both. You can't get mercy without grace. But you can't get grace without mercy. You know, you can't get the grace of God and surrender your life to Christ and still hang on to your misery, still hang on to your guilt, still hang on to all that shame and stuff. It automatically goes away when you surrender your life to Christ because when you do that, you receive His grace. But grace has to come first. Receiving Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit, or Jesus Himself called it being born again from above. 
the Bible says. That has to come first. And once you have received grace, then you'll be able to do like it said that we read a, a while ago in Hebrews 12 and verse 28. We'll be able to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. We'll be able to lead others to Christ because you'll be looking unto Jesus instead of looking at our problems. Then you will have the grace to make the right decisions and the choices when you're chastened by the Lord. Uh, we all need grace. You know, it's through grace that we get the comfort when we're going through a hard time. It's through grace that we uh, can grieve properly when we lose a loved one. It's through grace that we can forgive other people when they do us wrong. Grace is strength. It's godly strength to live a godly life. And uh, we can't do any of those things that we've been talking about for the last three weeks without it. I tell you at the end of every service, if you haven't done any these things, it all starts with surrendering your life to Christ. Because without grace, we can't, we can't do any of those things. Uh, grace enables us that when we are chastened by the Lord, we take it for what it is. We see it for what it is. It's God's direction and guidance, and it's not punishment. And once we have grace, we don't get offended by the Holy Spirit when he tells us to change something. You know, before grace, when God tells us we need to change something, you know, if we're honest, it makes us mad. I don't want to give that up. We think we have a right to it. But once you have grace, the Holy Spirit won't offend you when he tells you to change something because you know it's for your good. You know it's for your benefit. And uh, if you have grace, you won't be offended by other people so easily either because you'll see that all they need is grace too, just like I need it. And you'll be able to give it because you've already received it. Uh, but like I said earlier, only you and God know your heart. And God knows whether or not you have received grace, and you you know it too. But if you haven't done that, I always do like to give you the opportunity to do that. Uh, you know, if that's where you are, if you're not receiving mercy the way that you think you you should, if you're having a hard time forgetting, forgiving people and you're angry all the time, you need grace. Uh, I've been there. I've done that. It's easy to do. All you got to do is be honest with God and honest with yourself. Just tell God, and I don't just want mercy. I don't just want my sin forgiven. I don't just want my guilt removed. I want grace. I want the free gift of salvation through the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit. I want to surrender my life and my will to yours. And I want you to be my Lord and not just my Savior. You know, that's where grace comes from. That's where the strength to live a godly life comes from, not from Savior, but from being Him being our Lord. That's how we're able to be obedient. Uh, like I said, if you need mercy, get grace first, and mercy comes with it. But if you don't think you have it, just ask God for it and be obedient to what He tells you to do. He'll tell you how to get it. But that's my message for this week. But like I always say at the end of the message, I don't want to end it without giving you an opportunity to give your life to Christ. If that's you this week and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, it's really simple. Like I said, just tell God, I know I need a Savior, and I know I need a Lord, and I surrendered my life to you, 
and I'm going to submit my will to yours and make you Lord in my life. And if today is the day that you've done that, then the Bible says to tell somebody, confess it with your mouth, and that leads to salvation. And I'll give you some verses to go along with it so you don't have to take my word for it. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. It says, If you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So if today is the day that you've made that decision and uh, you've called out to God and asked him to become your Lord, tell somebody you've done that. And it says that confession you make with your mouth leads to your salvation. And I tell you this every week too, don't ever let anybody tell you that you've gone too far. Uh, Romans 10, 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no buts. There's no, or if you did this, it don't matter what you've done. Jesus said all manner of sin will be, will be forgiven to men. Come to God just as you are. And uh, if you think you're too dirty, you've been too simple, uh, that's why Jesus came to die for us. Romans 5 and verse 8 says God commended or showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So don't ever think you're too dirty to come to God. That's why Jesus came, because we were so dirty we needed God. You know, Romans 3.23 said we've all come short. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need to be saved. Uh, so I hope you do that today, and I hope this message helps somebody. It it really helped me to understand what grace truly is. You know, grace is not mercy. Grace is Jesus Christ. And grace is the power that we need to live a godly life. And the only way we get that is to surrender our will to his and make him Lord of our life. And not just our Savior. <coughs> but thank you all again for coming out if you're here in person. And uh, thank you for watching if you're tuning in online. Let me pray for us. And... We will be dismissed. Father, thank you for helping me to get up here and uh, share this message with everybody tonight. Lord, I just pray for every heart that hears it, the ones that are here and the ones that are online, Lord. I just pray that you would uh, help us to be completely honest with ourselves, Lord. We know what's in our hearts, and uh, you do too. And God, I just pray that you would help us to improve our prayer lives, Lord, to just talk with you and to share with you what's on our hearts, what's on our minds. And uh, let you, Holy Spirit, lead us into the relationship with you that we should have. And Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to make the changes that we need to make in our hearts, Lord, so that we can go the directions that you want us to go, so that we can be the, the men and women of God that we're supposed to be and serve you in a way that you will accept and is pleasing to you, God and in a way that leads others to you too. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for loving us first. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.